Sometimes false teaching sneaks in under the guise of something we are so familiar with. And so we need to continue to study, continue to dive in and to mature and to know God's word so well that the moment we come across false doctrine, we know what it is. One of my friends here on staff at the church used to work retail at Target. And he was actually like one of the managers and he would keep track of all of the employees that were counting the money. And he said one time he was watching this lady count the money and he had dealt with several employees that were stealing the money before. He said he was watching and she was just, she was going. And she would stop. She would set one off to the side. She would stop. She would set one off to the side. And he said, and he was like, she's going to steal that money. She's going to take it. So she gets through, she stops, she sets one aside. And then she calls him up. Says, hey, I need you to come take a look at this. And he said, she was, as she was counting all the money, she would come across a bill that just didn't feel right. She wasn't quite like all the others. And so she set it aside and he took it to the bank. And what do you know? They were fakes. They were counterfeit bills. And so we see that when it comes to preserving right teaching, we need to do diligence. We need to understand what right teaching is. We need to continue to grow, mature, and develop and get to know God's word so well that as we hear things, oh, hold up, pause. Something's not right about that. Something, something sounds a little bit iffy about that. And then we can then take that to our brothers or sisters and even have a conversation or discussion. We can say, hey, man, I was listening to so-and-so teach. I was listening to so-and-so preach. I was listening to Josiah, and he said this, man, and I'm like, yikes. And you share that with your friends because ultimately their knowledge is greater than just your knowledge. As you discuss that with them, you can strengthen yourself, you can sharpen your mind, and you'll begin to understand and better discern the difference between truth and error. And so to preserve right teaching, we must also discuss right teaching. But there's one last thing. To preserve sound teaching, we must affirm sound teaching. Look with me in our last verses for today's text, verses 12 through 21. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, this is another name for Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this, I will return and I'll rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, in my judgment, or therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every generation those who proclaim him. For he has read in every Sabbath 
in the synagogues. As Peter finished speaking, the entire room fell silent. And then Paul and Barnabas entered the chat and they began to share all that God had been doing with them through to the Gentiles. How they continued to see the Gentiles respond to the gospel and believe. You see, Paul and Barnabas began preaching to the Gentiles because a couple of chapters, chapters ago, back uh, at Antioch, they were preaching the gospel to the Jews, and the Jews completely rejected them. The Jews said, we don't want anything that you have to say. We don't want to believe anything that you have to say. And so they said, all right. They turned to preach the Gentiles, and then, and then we see a revival spark among the Gentile Christians. And so they began to share that. And as they are sharing that, James who is another one of the apostles and appears to have some sort of authority even among the council, speaks up to affirm exactly what's been shared by Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and the believers that had come with them. And I believe that as he was listening and soaking in these men's stories, how God had worked in and through them, God brought this passage to his mind. And he reads, he quotes a passage from Amos chapter 9, um, verses 11 through 12. Now the first 10 verses of Amos are actually filled with pronouncements of the Lord's judgment upon Israel because of their sinfulness. Yet God promises that he will not utterly destroy them, but in his timing, he will restore the fallen tent of David. And when he restores it, the nations will come to faith in Jesus. See, David was the greatest king Israel ever had. Under his rule, all of Israel experienced security and peace and blessing. He was also the one to whom God said, you will have an heir to sit on the throne forever. Now this heir of David, the seed of David, this is Jesus, whom after his death, burial, and resurrection has ascended into heaven and is seated on the eternal throne. And we know that through the life of Jesus, this prophecy of Amos 9 is fulfilled. And under his rule, all who believe in him will experience security, peace, and blessing. Now before Acts 10, the Jews would have read Amos 9 and assumed that this passage, passage was meant in talking about them only. But James has come to realize that Amos shows that the blessing of God is not just intended for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And so he speaks up to affirm Peter's statement in verse 11. He speaks up to add to the discussion, to continue to build and bolster what Paul and Barnabas and Peter have been sharing all along. And now one more thing I want you to see. Right there in verse 18, you'll notice it's very tiny and short. That's because verse 18 is not actually directly cited from Amos, but is believed to be drawn from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21. Uh, and it serves to highlight the fact that God's plan for salvation was his plan from all along. See, this has been God's plan since his promise to Abraham. I believe it's in Galatians that Paul shares about how God promised through the seed of Abraham, the nations would be blessed. Right? That's not nations singular, that's nations plural. And every nation that is not the Jewish nation are Gentile nations. See, this goes all the way back to Genesis 12 and 15. And James is starting to see this isn't a novelty in God's plan. Gentile salvation isn't new to God's plan. This has been a part of it all along. And we see that God 
has always had in his mind the entire world for his plan of salvation. And I think that's just so beautiful. And I can think and meditate and celebrate that day in and day out. Now, I want us to know this. There's an important lesson for us to learn in how James responds and he brings this quote to Scripture. You see, James didn't discover something that was hidden. James didn't somehow read Scripture in some new way and find out, oh, like this is actually what it's saying. Really what James did was discover what it had been saying all along. Our job as believers, our responsibility as a church that desires to be faithful in all things is not to discover new and unique and novel ways to study and read God's word. It's to continue to proclaim, to teach, and to spread what it said all along. Second Peter says that God's word is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness. And so we are not looking to do something new, but to continue something that God started all the way back in the beginning. And Scripture has already made clear all, again, that we need. And so looking back at our passage, we come to verse 19, and we see that after James quotes Amos, he provides a little bit of a direction for what the Gentiles are supposed to do, do next. And the first thing he does is that the Jew, he concludes the Jewish Christians should not put up a barrier between God and the Gentiles, since the Jews are both, the Jews and Gentiles are both saved in God's intended plan of salvation. Now, verse 19 has been the subject of some debate among believers and Christians, especially right now, because some churches, some people read this and say, well, we shouldn't put up any barrier that might hinder someone from coming to Jesus. And I believe that is 100% true. But sometimes they might read that and they might say, well, then that means we can't speak out about issues like the LGBTQ plus lifestyle. We can't speak out about issues that are hot topics in our culture. But that is absolutely not true. That is absolutely false. Because look at what James instructs the Gentiles to do. He says, but write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. Now, James's instruction here is not to try to make the Gentiles more Jewish. Actually, he's trying to do two things. He's trying to accomplish two things with this final statement right here. First off, he wants to protect the Gentiles from things that would have been habitual sins in their former lifestyle. See, the Gentiles are coming from a pagan religion, are coming from pagan worship. And these things that he lists here would have been a part of their worship. He's saying, abstain from these things so as to protect yourself from falling back into the sins of your former life. And the second thing he wants to do is he wants to promote unity in the church. These things that he names would have been very offensive, especially food offered to idols would have been especially offensive to the Jewish Christians that they were having fellowship with. And so James gives them a word of wisdom grounded in Scripture to help the church come together and to bridge those gaps and those barriers that have been put up, to bridge those differences that have been put up. You see, for thousands of years, 
The Jews were here. The Gentiles were here. And now the gospel comes and it brings that people together. And as everyone here knows, when you bring people together that are very different, that have very different backgrounds, that have unique experiences in life, you start to have a little bit of conflict. So James is saying to help mitigate some of that conflict, we want the Gentiles to continue to live in such a way, one, that protects them from their former lifestyle, and two, that will allow the Jews to more easily find unity with them. And so we see from James' example that we can preserve sound teaching by affirming sound teaching and living out the truth. I know that's not up there on the board, but that comes hand in hand. Affirming right teaching, sound teaching, also means living out sound teaching. Look with me at these last three things, and I'll ask the band to come on up. How can we affirm sound teaching? One, we can agree with and support sound teaching. John 8, 31 through 32 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? We must fill ourselves with truth and we must agree and support sound teaching. Second, we should live out sound teaching. Luke eleven twenty eight says, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And then lastly, we see we should share sound teaching. And this takes us all the way back to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that goes hand in hand with Acts 1.8, when Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So as we continue as a church, as we continue as believers, we continue as young adults to preserve sound teaching, I want us to commit to doing three things. Debating with false teachers. Discussing with one another sound teaching. And then affirming sound teaching and living it out with our lifestyle. You see, if we seek and say that we are believing and we are affirming what Scripture says, and yet we do not live lives in line with what Scripture teaches, then we don't actually believe that. We don't actually believe that. We're fooling ourselves. James says that we are a man. We're a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And so part of combating false teaching and affirming right teaching is showing to the world that the lifestyle that the Bible presents is one worth living, is one that brings flourishing just as God intended, is one that brings encouragement and hope and life. Our lives are a testimony to the truths of Scripture. So as we continue to seek to preserve this message, it should also be preserved in the lives that we live. 
and how we go out into the world and we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are witnesses to Jesus, telling the watching world, this is a message that brings life. This is a message that brings healing. This is the message that brings salvation. 